Welcome to the Holistic Wellness and Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Ann Marsden. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing emotional awareness and embodiment practices. And so what that boils down to is in life, a lot of times, we are not always aware of what our emotions are. We either numb out to them or we distract ourselves from them. But rest assured, whether they are in our conscious awareness or not, they are impacting our health and well-being. So we really do want to focus on being aware of our emotions. And the other thing we're going to talk about today are embodiment practices, which deal with the mind-body connection. And the embodiment practices are really going to help us with understanding what's going on with our body and our emotions. So I hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. Hello and welcome to today's show. Today we have a very special guest. With me, I have Sandy Gee Dixon, a practitioner of yoga and meditation for over 30 years and an incredible teacher of mindfulness, movement, emotional awareness. And she has worked with students of all ages and athletes and you name it. She's been a tremendous force in a lot of people's lives for helping them understand how to connect with themselves. And we are graced with her presence today. So thank you for joining us, Sandy. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Okay, well, we're going to jump right in. We're going to jump right in. I did warn you. <laughs> so I asked Sandy if she would be willing to talk with us today about her journey to the healer and teacher that she is currently. So if you want to sort of back us up, Sandy, with some of your earlier life experiences that have led you to where you are, that would be a great place to start. Yeah, surely. I'm going to start with, I never thought of myself as a healer. And still at this point, it's not that I don't embrace that, especially when somebody else introduces me that way or writes about me that way. I believe we all are healers and we are ourself, our own healer, first and foremost. So that's where my journey began. I'm, can I throw a little astrology in here? Is that okay? Oh, please do. <laughs> Kimberly Ann and I both met during astrology school way back when. So I have a cancer moon. I was a very sensitive kid, very sensitive. And I was the only girl in a family of men. And it's maybe ironic that I only have men in my life now. I have four boys. I was raised with three brothers, and I have four boys. But that idea of being the only girl in a family and then being the most sensitive on top of it got a bad rap in my own head. It was sort of imposed on me that that was a weakness, not my strength. And so I moved through my teen years and my early 20 years trying to be somebody else for anybody else's acceptance. Anything but trying to embrace my sensitivity and what was going on inside this body of mine. Because the best way I can describe it, it felt like I was constantly plugged into an electrical socket on my nerve endings. And I knew things or I felt things for people before they felt them. I, I wouldn't say it was some sort of psychic thing. To me, it was just, isn't everybody this way? Can't everybody feel the tension in the room or the, the anger that's going on between this conversation and these people? Things like that. So it wasn't until my mid-20s, mid to late 20s, where I moved into really using my yoga practice that I had started when I was 18, 19 years old in a different way to really get in tune with this body of mine. And that's when things started to shift. And every layer that would shift got me a little deeper. So there was never this big kerplunk into something. Do you know what I'm talking about, Kimberly Ann? Like, did you ever get that? There's moments in people's lives where you go, aha, that was it. I don't feel like I had the aha moment of one thing. It was 
many things at that moment that might have felt like they rocked my world for that moment. For example, when I was in college, I was studying international business when all I wanted to do was be a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Who wanted you to do the international business? Where'd that come from? My family. They're all a bunch of entrepreneurs and and business people. So not that they wanted me that way. I felt that that's what they wanted for me. So I chose their route. And so that was a big aha moment for me when I could step back and really ask myself, what does Sandy want? And what is Sandy good at? And my 20-some-year-old self at that time, the only thing I knew was that I loved working with kids. And in particular, I loved working with kids that nobody else wanted to work with. (laughs) Why is that? I don't even know why I find that funny, but I think my family found that funny. Like, why are you trying to go the hardest route possible? But something inside me called to that. And maybe it was because I felt misunderstood. I wanted to reach out to kids that felt misunderstood. So that was an aha moment for me. And I decided to change paths and go down that route. And all along this route, I would keep coming back to my yoga practice. I was mm, pseudo teaching it to people. And I say pseudo because I really thought that people labeled You have to remember when I was in yoga, really interested in yoga in the beginning, it was the 80s. That was not a very accepting time of what that word or that practice meant. So even in my mind, I took it as earthy, crunchy, everything that isn't me type of personality. So there is no way that I can marry what I do with what I thought the image of it was. Silly, I know, but that's that's just where I was. So I would slip in what I knew about connecting with the body and in an embodied way. And what I mean by that is where the emotions store inside the body, how we even move based on how we feel. And those thoughts that are being generated constantly are affecting how we show up. Even you and me, we're sitting here via microphone, but also via video. And how we move is determinant also on what our thoughts, what's going on in this head of ours. Oh, that's a great concept. Can you give us an example of what you would do in class with that type of stuff to the kinds of things you were? I'll I'll go back. Now, this is, again, still my 20s, right? And I wasn't really an expert at how to do this yet. But I'd be working with kids that if they were emotionally misunderstood, there was a lot of trauma happening at home, which I'm not an expert on trauma, especially at that time. I was not an expert on trauma, but I could tell that something based on their stories, what they're cluing me in on, and I could see it show up in their bodies because one, they couldn't sit still or the complete opposite. They'd void out and look like they're a shell of themselves and they're young. I was working with seven-year-olds seven to 10 year olds at the time. And this is the time that they, their bodies want to be the most active. That's the fiery side of our personalities, of our life generations of your younger years, you're fiery. And they weren't always that way. Or they were so fiery that um, they're disruptive in class, causing a lot of detentions for themselves or after school penalties and things like that. So I would work with them by saying, one, let's breathe together, and then tensing and releasing of their hands and their feet, and even their facial expressions. I always felt it was so important for a kid to be able to have a very animated face. Now, that's just my bias, and that was also my ignorance <laughs> back in, when I was in my 20s, but I thought if their face could come alive, then it's going to change the chemistry of their body. <laughs> I'm just like thinking to myself now that I have four boys that and they're all older but that's not that doesn't hold true all the time but there is there is some truth to that there is some truth to that definitely well, there is i mean as far I, as if, the number of muscles it takes to smile versus frown and and did you know that people that actually that have schizophrenia that have expressed emotion issues they can't do the facial do exp- yeah so there that was not a crazy idea that was right well, on the money but let me let me tell you this though because i know a little bit more now so i'm kind of flipping us forward here. 
if you, if anyone was watching us right now, I'd be pointing to the bottom of my eyes to the very top part of my mouth. That middle third of your face has all these subtle expressions. Now, on my face, they're not subtle. <laughs> Mine either, as you know, from looking at my face. <laughs> you always know what we're thinking and feeling because the face just goes... Blah, blah, blah. I, Again, the listeners can't see what we're doing, but you know how animated we are. For an introverted person, this is less animated, but it doesn't mean that it's not functioning. There are very subtle cues there. And that's what I've learned over the course of, well, from my 20s until my 50s, that this area is very important, but I don't have to exaggerate it for people in order for them to change their their state of mind, their perspective. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of, can we loosen it up a little bit, even if they're choosing not to be flamboyantly expressive in that area, if, if that's the right term. Um, they just know that it's comfortable. The nerve endings are comfortable to make those subtle movements that are needed. So that's, that's a little side tangent there. It's not that I was totally off, but I was definitely pushing it to, for them to mimic me. <laughs> <laughs> be an extrovert. Come on. But so I would use that example a lot of how do you get into the body by tensing and releasing? How do you relax that face more? Relax the vocal cords more. Um, allow them to be squirmy, but then allow them to feel what it's like to sit in stillness. But for kids, sitting in stillness too long, that's not, that's not good overall because it's a repression of what their bodies want to do to grow muscles and things like that. It's not that they can't sit and read for hours on end. It's just when we're in an academic setting or a one-on-one -on -one setting, um, I can pick up the cues a little bit easier and allow them to understand that cue inside themselves that they need to move. And then it's okay to want to move instead of being told, sit still, stop fidgeting. Yeah, you've known me long enough now um, via these Zoom type meetings that we've had over the years. I'm a mover. I can't stop. Well, I can stop, but I choose to move when my body needs to move because yes. it helps calm the nervous system. So it's a self-soothing technique. Yeah, which is interesting because people forget that we need movement mm -hmm. and that that's just as important. And I wish that in the educational system that they would really understand more the mechanisms that are needed for for doing that and I and I used to teach religious education to middle school kids years ago and anybody that walked by my classroom must have thought I was nuts I had them doing yoga stretches we and then I had some very very active boys so they would be doing push-ups squats anything that was using a lot of the bigger mu body muscles just so that they felt okay and then they were able to engage and sit still and be contemplative. It's hard to, to be contemplative when your body, like you said, is giving you the cues that it's it's time to rock and roll, not time to sit and listen or to right. be, you know, trying to be introspective. It's you need to give the body the chance to get to that state. Now here's something that again, I don't have science to back it up, but this is from my experience that I would say ask yourself as a listener to this podcast, were you the type of child that fits into exactly what Kimberly Ann just said. So a child that wasn't able to express themselves through movement when they wanted to, they were repressed more. Now take a look at yourself as an adult. What has happened? Are you able to sit in contemplation? Are you able to have a contemplative type of practice, like a meditation practice, a visualization practice, or just simple quiet time for yourself in stillness? And if not, does that, can you see some sort of correlation of what happened in your youth of not being able to honor those pieces and then suppress too quickly? So now as an adult, it's like still trying to get out. It still just wants to get your body moving. And when I work with adults and teaching them how to practice meditation, I find that as the first complaint that they can't sit still because the mind is so overactive in those thoughts, like I talked about earlier, 
that get reflected in the body. So if the thoughts are racing, 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 and they're uncomfortable thoughts, the body's getting uncomfortable. It needs to move. It needs to whatever. And then they don't want to sit. And then they think meditation or contemplation is not for them. So that's right. where I graduated to, if that sort of keeps following the question that you asked me, was that's where I started. That's that's how I I entered into this, quote unquote, maybe healing field, if that's what you want to call it. I looked at it as just a, a teaching and, and guiding field. And it was really to help me understand myself. And that's what I believe all of us do at some level. We are learning, we are teaching, we're talking these things out because we need to learn them. And so I moved through my 20s into my 30s, um, started having my my boys, and I had a home daycare. <laughs> I, had, I laugh at it because my mom and I just talked about these things. I constantly looked for ways to use my skill set as I was learning about my own my own body, my own mind, my own sensitivities. And so I brought kids into my home while I was raising my kids, thinking that would be the best way that I could do this. And and then after two years went, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> I have to stay focused. So I that's when I dove into just being Myself as a mom, myself as my own nurturer, and that took a lot of um, insight, a lot of journaling, a lot of practice. Again, going back to my yoga practice, which was deepening over time, changing, because I didn't have hours to spend on myself raising young boys. I had snippets of time. Yeah, I'd like you to talk more about that, because I think that's a really important thing that that you just said about being being a busy mom and learning how to self-nurture. And even if you're not a mom, most people are super busy and have issues with knowing how to self-nurture. And that can be anyone from a college-age student, you know, up through somebody that's retired, but managing to fill their time by doing many, many things because we're so used to being busy. So if you could talk more about how you learn to self-nurture, because I think everybody can do a little more nurturing to themselves, a little more yes. self-love. I think it's a it's a great topic. And I do believe that everybody does find nurturing. It just may not be healthy nurturing. <laughs> great so maybe, point. Maybe there's another word for that. <laughs> uh, when I watch like my most recent son who just graduated from college, and we have lots of conversations about how he learned to nurture himself. Um, and not in such healthy ways. And he said, I felt like every peer of mine was doing the same thing. It was, we go out to party to release the stress, to, to then regroup and come back and do it again and work really hard. So I take that same example into, say, myself when I was a, a mother of young, young kids. What could I have easily have done? Could it easily have just fallen into the mm, the gossip circles in the neighborhood while the kids are playing outside and the, the women all get together and we think we are decompressing by complaining, 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 but all it was doing was catching fire with one another and building that momentum and those thought patterns, reinforcing those thought patterns of complaints. Now, don't get me wrong here. There's always time that... The venting is part of moving that energy through the body, but it's what you do after the vent, after the energy has cleared, what do you do? And if you choose to stay, at least this is what my experience was, if I chose to stay inside that venting um, energy, then my perspective of the world changed. How I looked at my kids, my neighbors, any interactions with people, all through that lens of irritation or less patience instead of allowing whatever I just maybe shared with a friend, hey, I'm stressed, I'm this, I'm that. That's part of nurturing is to be able to confide with somebody, whether it's yourself, your journal, professional, or a friend, to be able to say what you feel, to tag it, then move it back into, and this is what it's my my body is feeling like. 
with this emotion. And then from there, ground myself, reset, and then put a perspective set out to where I want to go next. So what I mean by that in practicality, had a really hard day of whatever those young mother years were like. <laughs> it's just, you know, something is always pulling me in a different direction. And maybe I'm not using my brain the way I used to be able to use my brain <laughs> on problem solving and and doing all these big things that I used to do. Now I'm dealing with little bodies and lots of mundane tasks or so it felt at certain times. And that stress would build. And I'd go out to be with a friend, we'd go for a walk and I'd say, I'm so frustrated or this angers me and this is irritating me and this. Now, from that, take those deep breaths and allow it to land in the body, to recognize that it's not just all up in my head. It's not just a bunch of words. To notice that in my body, it usually resulted in some sort of um, that electric impulse again, where I'm a little shaky, a little, little tight. I could feel it on the back of my neck, back of the shoulders, holding that tension recognize it and breathe with that not trying to get rid of it just recognizing that that is correlated with this this emotion that body sensation and then the next best nurturing step would be to say all right that's what it is right now i know where i want to be i know what I want to feel, and what is that feeling that I want to feel? Grateful. When I was a young mother, I just wanted to remember that grateful feeling of, I am blessed that I can be here with my children and raise them the way I like to raise them and be present the way I like to be present. And then how does that feel in my body? And sometimes I'm not there yet. I can't flip the switch and say, I've gone from anger and stress and irritability to gratefulness, and nor should we. It's just a reminder. It's just there. It's another um, piece in the brain that can say, when you're ready, when this energy clears, you know what you want to return to. And then talk with my friend about something that is uplifting, something that is not continuously feeding the fire of irritation, anger. Because once I've said the anger, once I've felt the anger, how much more talking about the anger needs to be done? There's no right answer there. Sometimes right. it is a day of, of venting. But, or for some people, a month of venting. I don't know. But you, <laughs> you said have to decide. You said a bunch of very, very important things. I just want to go back and recap. I mean, the mm -hmm. first thing was the awareness yeah. of what you were feeling and the fact that first you became aware of the thoughts, then you became aware of where they were in the body, mm -hmm. and then you acknowledged them and observed them felt and on, them. Yeah, really felt them and allowed them to be. And then you made another choice where you said, I honor you. I know you're here. I'm not trying to pretend, you know, not trying to pretend you don't exist or tell you to go away because as we know, that's not an effective strategy. But then the next thing you did is you said, I also want to remind myself, my nervous system and, you know, the biochemicals that I'm trying to get out by, by looking at gratitude and making that shift mentally and seeing if, if you're body and your mind are willing to shift to that yet. And I thought it was really beautiful that you said, sometimes yes, sometimes no, but you sort of set the intention of where you want to go next and then, you know, worked with where you are, which I think is really beautiful. And, and that part that you just said, that window is where the true nurturing comes in. Like the, the first part is the precursor to the nurturing. It's important and you can't do the nurturing step without doing what you just outlined that I said. So uh, although it sounds very mechanical, when you start practicing this, you realize that is just being human. Yeah, getting and, back to being human. I think right. that's the beautiful thing of what you're saying is just reminding us that if you really just try and be in the moment in your body, in 
what's going on in awareness because it's really hard to be aware sometimes. And the practice that you were talking about, it's really just being connected to yourself, which can be challenging at times, especially in the scenario where you're talking about being a busy mom. And why is it challenging? I believe it's because it's painful. It's Mm -hmm. painful and uncomfortable. So it's easier to use our words at times, at least for some of us, than to actually tap back in and know that that feeling is not going to kill you, no matter how uncomfortable it is. But I think that was important, Sandy, what you just said is, is the why. I think part of the why is also the stuff you said at the beginning of the podcast, which is interactions in our early life that either we misinterpret or are directly, you know, telling us not to feel and, Mm -hmm. or telling us how to feel. There's so much of that in life and it comes from so many different directions. I mean, from everything, it's not just family, it's teachers, environment, ads. I mean, smartphones, all the way that things are set up to prime people. And so it's like trying to strip all that away. When you, the beautiful example you gave, what I was hearing also is like, you just strip all the noise, strip everything else out. But and how? back to your core, right? Which you know, is the challenge. That is the challenge. Yes. That is the challenge. To say that you're stripping away the noise comes, at least for me in my experience, my own personal experience, but also working with others, it builds upon itself. So you give time to do this. Now let's take a different example, not just a working mom. Let's talk, or a stay-at-home mom, any type of mom. A college t- student, how about? College student or um, an athlete. Yeah. Right? And let's let's go to the athlete part because I think this is really important stuff. Um, when an athlete is working really hard at their craft, at their skill, and you know this from all the stories that you used to share with me about your swimming experiences, right? You are in such a stressed zone of this is what you have to accomplish. Well, what happens to all your everyday life experiences when you're coming to practice what happens if you had tension at school with your family with your significant other whatever that may be are you supposed to leave that at the door so that you practice at yes. your quote-unquote best <laughs> self right right yes 100 percent. yes nothing right. else exists outside the pool and okay i am not a competitive athlete so I can't speak to that part of compartmentalization. I don't think I, it's healthy. Let me say that. I don't think it's healthy to your point. I'm, I'm agreeing. But so go ahead to the point. The compartmentalization that I'm familiar with happens all the time in just regular life, let alone athletes' lives. We tend to say that doesn't exist right now. We just have to stay focused on this. But then we forget to go back and process what we just compartmentalized. You do that long enough, you've got an overstuffed closet that's going to spill out during your competitive times. And you're going to wonder why you can't hit the mark and hit your personal best the way you used to. Because all this other stuff has been not addressed along the way. Or injuries or all the ways the body gets your attention. There's so many ways. ways. I agree. Yeah. All the ways. So... That connection connection back, I'm not going to talk about exactly how you compartmentalize because that's, again, not my specialty of, of sports. But what I do know is when you're done, you have to carve out parts of your day to get back to what human pieces you just buried in the closet. And that can be through journaling, breath work mindfulness or contemplative practice, anything that I just described on that last example, which is asking, what's the feeling? Can you tag it? Where in the body is it? How is that expressing itself in the body? And can you sit with it, sit with the uncomfortableness without trying to change it, get it to be different? And our problem-solving brain will always try to make it different, especially when there's pain, because that's what the brain is supposed to do. You're in pain. How do we get out of pain? How do we escape pain? But when it comes to the emotional body, it is, can you be friends with it? Because it's here to teach you something. And not that you have to figure out what it's here to teach you. 
it'll do that naturally over time when you haven't chased it out. And so you feel that anger and that discomfort and whatever else is bubbling up. And you keep breathing through it and breathing through it, journal about it, and know that there's not a set time that it has to go away. But you've invited it that I've always used this example with my students of like guests coming into your house. The emotions are the guests that are coming into the house. They're not here to stay. They're here to move on. So you open the door to anger or sadness or whatever, even happiness. They come in. They're messing in your house. They're messing in this body of yours. And like a good host, you're not just going to kick everybody out. Think about your relatives that you really kind of dislike, but they still have to come over on holidays, <laughs> right? You don't just kick them out. You accept them for this moment and you stay connected to how that's making your body feel. And then you invite them to leave when they're ready. And I don't mean that as if they're breaking down the house, like say anger is inside of you and it's just going uh, to such extremes. Kimberly Ann and I like to talk about it as the low road of, mm-hmm. of those emotional states, right? And it goes haywire you have the ability to say no that's enough this is my body i get to choose no more of that and that's usually where professional help really a professional counselor therapist (laughs) that would and i i say that with a smile just because i know what your background is that is where i would say go see somebody that can help you through that but if they're just there to, and it's feeling a little uncomfortable, you don't need to chase them out so fast. Allow it to be. And then who else is in the house with you? Because very rarely is it just one emotion. Do you ever see that? Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think people don't realize that there's things underneath. If there's anger, there's often sadness. Mm-hmm. And people think that there's just... As you're talking, I keep seeing the movie Inside Out. Yes, I love that movie. I love that movie. But but what a great metaphor. I love that metaphor. I've never heard that metaphor before as far as the idea of, you know, the guests and this and that. And then, if you know, there is a time where you set the boundary and some people need to go. You know, there's a time for that too. But like you're saying, you also have to have the awareness of acceptance and being able to tolerate. And I think that's the challenge for a lot of people is tolerating emotions because we don't know how to sit with them. You know, it can be scary. A lot of us really, it's like, Oh, what's that? That's unfamiliar. I think a lot of times it's because it's unfamiliar and we just want to get rid of it. Cause we're like, I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't want to go there and right. try and push it, push it out of the house to use your metaphor. Well, if, if no one has, helped us learn that as a young person than trying to learn it as an older person. It's a foreign language now. Yeah. Embodied connection will take a little bit more time. And I still struggle with it at times. I'm going through a transitional stage now of from, from one job into what's going to happen next in my life. And on any given moment of the day, I can be riding that roller coaster of emotions and there's a part of me that would rather just jump back into like, can I, is there a closet I can clean? Is there a project I can get into? But I'm, I know myself well enough now that that cleaning or that organizational tendency is my anchor so that I can feel. So it's not a diversion as much as saying, Right now, everything is its like a whirlwind with inside me and the, the body is starting to feel very um, on edge again. And if I can use that energy to clean something, organize something, or in some people's cases, they'd go for a run or they'd exercise or whatever. Okay, if I can do that and it's healthy, it's not a bad thing to clean or organize, right? Please tell me that's okay. I'm good with it. My kids, I drive my kids a little nuts with that. So they might say no, but I'm on board with you. (laughs) That's why we get along. And then from there, I can sit and to really sit 
and go, whoa, that was a, that was a whirlwind. And so then I don't always have to go to cleaning. I don't always have to go to an organizational, not escape, but a, uh, a way to move that energy through. I can sit with it more. And that's just, I think, for the listeners to know that you you get to a point where you understand what will get you to that contemplation, that contemplation or that mindful awareness. And if it means going for the run, exercising until you sweat, going to sleep. I've got a kid that when things get stressful, he needs to go take a nap. And when he comes out, he can be much more refreshed to connect to those emotional states. So find it and then determine that it's healthy for you. It's not doing further damage that you have to then dig yourself out of a different type of hole and then connect back into how that is running through the body. And I think that was a great point because sometimes what happens is the person goes and does the cleaning and instead of using it to move the energy through the way you're saying, they use it as a diversion or a way to numb. And that's where you can, like you're saying, people can end up taking the low road and then using things to self-medicate, you know, with alcohol or over-exercise. You know, you see a lot of that too, or food comes in. There's all these great ways that human beings, we can find to distract ourselves because really that's what we're trying to do is we're trying not to feel. But what I loved about what you said is you said, you know what, give yourself permission to do the healthy activities, not the ones that are going to create problems for you, but the healthy activities. And if it's the run, if it's the, the cleaning, if it's the, whatever it is, you know, um, I was actually having a, a conversation with a woman and she's like, oh, you know, every once in a while I'll, I'll be eating really healthy and then I'll have a piece of candy. I said, well, pick, pick, pick a piece of dark chocolate. I'm like, big deal. You know, I mean, that's okay. If that, you know, and for some kids or even adults, chewing helps ground you. And as long as you chew something that's not going to be really detrimental, if that gets you, like you're saying, to move the energy through. So then you can actually be aware. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, then that's the, that's the key. I so know from, I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you really yep. quick there. I don't want to lose this point. When the check-in for yourself, for anyone who's listening to know whether you've just escaped or you're actually doing something that is healthy. Let's take that run. For example, if you go out and run because you're super stressed about something and you've cleared quote unquote cleared your head and now you got the runners high at some point and you come back and you feel like a whole different person you say wow that i feel great that's the sign have you gone back to actually feel what that triggered why it triggered you in the first place what was going on because you can't keep using the run as the, 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 to placate how to get out of something if you don't know what's triggering you in the first place. So I can, I can remodel a whole house if that was yeah. my escape. But if I don't understand the beginning of, wait, I, I've been doing this a lot to dodge what, to overcome what, then what's the root of that? And why can't I sit with that for a little longer to let it unravel or reveal to me what's really happening? So I'm going to give a, can I give a personal example there? Oh, I'd love to hear it. Okay. So when I was uh, doing the startup company for the personal growth company that I was just in and I was working my butt off, but I thought I kept saying to myself, this is so much fun. This is what a startup is all about. And this is what I have to do. But I was working myself into the ground. And so at the end of every day, I would quote unquote, give myself that treat of whatever that nurturing treat was. It was sometimes just going out for the walk, or sometimes it was a big journaling session, a big salt bath at the end of the night, whatever, thinking that's all I need is to refuel because I just had the toughest day. No amount of those ending activities were going to help me 
acknowledge the fact of what I put myself through, what I was putting my nervous system through was unrealistic. So I guess the best, this is just coming to me right now, the best analogy of it is like an electric car. And uh, they say that your electric car, when you, you're close to empty on electricity, you have to plug it in. Um, you only get so much at a time, right? It fills you up really quick to a certain level. And it's that last part that takes the longest. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but so this image is coming to me of that's what I was trying to do every night. I was trying to get myself just to a certain point, but I wasn't fully topping off. And the only way I could fully top off my energy and get back into my, my emotional connection of my body was to address why am I working so hard? Why am I putting myself through the unrealistic expectations and face the reality that's there versus just thinking, give myself a quick hit, quick hit of the fill up. And I, I love that example. I love both those examples because what you did with both of those is say, even if your emotional state is different, like you've shifted your emotional state to something that feels like we would particularly typically say is a positive state, you know, the runner's hive, you feel good. And when you nurture yourself, usually it feels good, you know, and so you're thinking, okay, I've done and and you gave a great example, because you're saying, okay, now I've actually nurtured myself. So shouldn't that be enough? And the message which you just made very clear, which I loved was, that's a great thing to do, but it doesn't take the place of doing the work. Mm -hmm. And the work is to go back and address the emotional state that you were escaping from in the first place or the overwhelm that happened during the day and the frying of the nervous system that happened just because you were so busy. Right. And why are, you know, and then the question of why are, am I continuing to do that? I think that is a huge point. And I think so many of us can relate to that. And so many of the listeners will be able to relate to the fact that that's what we do. And then we're like, well, I'm still, I'm eating healthy. I'm doing the healthy things. And those are great. Please keep doing those. Not saying, yeah, keep doing those, not saying not to do those, but it's just as important. It's to, it's important to do all pieces of those and to recognize what's happening in the day, in the now and, and what, if you have to take a step away, like you're saying, and move the energy before you can go back, you still need to go back. Even if at that moment you're feeling good and you're like, well, guess I worked through that. I don't need to go back to that. Mm -hmm. You know, what I hear you saying is you do still need to, and it may not be a long, hard road, you know, it doesn't have to be this arduous task. It may just be, you know, a little bit of time acknowledging it and working through it. Yeah. So I'll, I'll continue on that personal story because yes. of what you just said, it didn't happen overnight. In fact, it took me, I had COVID in November and that was, that was a huge stopping point. <laughs> Body said, can't do any of that. And so that gave me some time to reflect. But I had already then put in that into my head that this isn't going to be the long-term solution. I can't keep running at this state, even if I'm eating well and doing my nightly self-care things. There's more. So I would just use it when I, it wasn't like an every night deal, but I would say out of seven days a week, four to five days a week, there was some sort of reflection time of what do I really want? How do I want to continue? What's going to sustain me for the long run, mentally, physically, emotionally? And I didn't always have the answers. I can, you, if you opened up my journal, you would see like a bunch of question marks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And that's okay. That's part of the emotional state of confusion. And I keep working with it and working with it. And then it just, it bubbles up. It shows itself. And it's so it showed itself to me that I had to make a change. And my change is to step away and start something different. And what that next thing is, I don't know yet. So I'm going to let that take its time until it, it shows itself versus just plugging myself right into the next thing because I'm a worker bee. <laughs> I, I like to be in service to others and purposeful, but I'm taking it step by step now. So that's my suggestion. Uh, the wisdom that I've learned is to 
get allow it to take its time. Don't think that you're doing something wrong when the answer isn't there of what comes next or the problem isn't solved. But I will say the brain is really savvy. It will act, it will act like you do have it all figured out and you'll wake up certain days and go, this is, oh, I got it. I got it handled. Yeah. <laughs> Only to know, no, you got it. You got it handled for this moment. But again, it's not maybe sustainable for the long run. And if we can keep that, or at least I've learned, if I could keep my mind open to possibilities and the curiosity and the awareness of what I'm doing while I'm doing it, then that next right action step will always reveal itself. Beautiful, beautiful, Sandy. How does, or does it, I should say, it's probably the next question. How does meditation fit in with all the contemplative work that you're talking about and a little bit more probably in depth about the the journaling, how you use your journaling and how you use your, you can pick whichever one you'd like to go first. Can I, can I throw visualization in there too? Oh, please, please do, do all of them. Okay, so meditation for me is an ongoing practice. I don't say I'm meditating ever. I say I am practicing meditation because meditation based on my yoga teaching uh, experience is something that is always ongoing. You will never perfect it, but it's through the process, through that journey of practicing it, that we discover so much about ourselves, about our mind-body connection. So there are months where I am diligent every morning, waking up and meditating between 15 and 45 minutes. It all depends on what my my day is like. And it's sitting in silence. And it takes some days a little longer than others to fall into this groove of just accepting to be where I am at this moment versus trying to change it. I watch the thoughts. I don't get carried away in the storyline. I keep bringing myself back. If you're curious about how to meditate uh, or practice meditation, it's always good to start with somebody who can guide you. And then it becomes your own, it's always your own personal practice, but a guide is, I think, essential for that beginning stage. And then somewhere in the middle and then somewhere along the way, (laughs) you go back to that expert again because, or that guide again, because you don't know your own shadow. I don't know my own shadow well enough. That's why it's called a shadow. So I use somebody else that can see all sides and help me through that next piece. But I say that I do that for like sometimes periods of, of long stretches. And then there's times I cannot seem to motivate myself to get back to that type of meditation. So I use my bike rides or my walks to get into a contemplative state of mind. It's not that I'm sitting in stillness, but I'm becoming aware. I'm becoming very mindful of my experience in this moment. Or I go to visualization. And visualization is one of those pieces that I love tapping people into and encouraging it more because it's so easy and it's so quick. And what we know in brain science is what we think and what we feel, the brain doesn't know the difference. Like if we did it or whether we just thought it, if there's a strong emotional connection to it. So an example of that is if you have a huge race that's coming up or a huge competition coming up and you are so nervous about it and you keep thinking about it with that anxiousness, the brain is interpreting that you are anxious in the race. Like it is happening in the body. It's already producing those same chemicals of cortisol and stress hormones through the body as if you were standing on the line waiting for the race to start. That's just the way our brain operates. So visualization takes the place of teaching that other neural pathway in the brain of what else could happen. Yes, you can be anxious for a race, but you can also be feeling elated for that race or 
very prepared, very calm, whatever that is that you choose that you want to feel and to keep practicing that through. So for me, a visualization practice, it can be as easy as this morning, getting out of bed, putting my feet on the floor and thinking about talking to you. And I automatically visualize the two of us having this conversation. I can't help but smile when I think about talking with Kimberly Ann. It's good and having fun, I hope. (laughs) And that just brings a sense of, of joy inside my body. I'm feeling very grateful for it. And it's not as if my visualization is seen exactly you with your blue background or me in my closet with the, (laughs) they can only see where we're sitting right now, but it's not that I have to do that. Certain visualizations are more effective when I can put in as many of those type of details in. But in this case, I'm strongly connected to the emotional state of talking to you already. We have enough under our belt after all these years of talking, that all I have to do is think about your face, your name, and it's an instant change of chemistry in my body. And that's my visualization. And it happens within seconds. And then as I start getting ready for my day and I'm eating my breakfast, if I'm getting nervous at all, I just tap right back into that of feeling myself and seeing myself talking to you. So that's why I love using visualization so much because anybody can use it. But here's the caveat. If you haven't had those reference points, like I just said, I have a reference point with you. Why it's so easy to connect to that visualized state. Well, then you have to train yourself to get there. You have to create those new neural pathways for your body and mind to connect to the positive state or whatever that state, emotional state is that you want. Like somebody is starting a new job and you have no idea what that job is going to be like. And it's maybe terrifying in your body or you're starting to feel the anxiousness in your body. Well, then the visualization has to go back step by step of tapping into moments when you have, they're called touchstone moments, when you have gone into something new and it's worked out really well to find out what that was and to repeat those. And then you start switching it just a little bit to say, it's the new location. It's the new job that replaces that old feeling, but still has that same concept. So how do I do that easily with, with a client? Or if I'm making them a visualization, I say, let's start with gratitude. Let's start with an emotion that you know that you have a touchstone to. And then once you come from that, let's call it that grateful sensation in the body, you're in a very expansive type of feeling state. So it's so much easier for the possibilities of whatever you're about to visualize next. If I'm feeling a sense of gratitude and then I'm going to visualize that new job or the new environment or my next competition, but I'm I keep coming back to the touchstone of gratitude and expansiveness, then my mind won't just be hijacked right back into more of that anxious state. Think of it like superhighways in the brain. And they're so used to going a certain way. And then I open up the mind to say, let's be expansive with gratitude. Oh, wait, it wants to go back to those highways. Nope, let's go back to being open. And over time, Those two emotions, just like, remember, go back to that house example of emotions coming into the body. Anxiousness has entered along with gratitude. They're both at your house at the same time. And it's okay. It's okay to entertain both. But when you kick gratitude out, when you kick everybody else out and you let anxiety be the, (laughs) or the nervousness. The star. (laughs) the, the, The very loud mouth in the house, the emotional body. Well, then that's not realistic either. That's just going down one neural pathway in your brain and you've forgotten to open up. Now, I'm sorry I'm going on a tangent here, but this is like automatic. I want people to understand this. Of It's natural to go to that neural pathway, that one single. Because when we're under stress, what does the brain do? It narrows the focus. Because it has to be like, what's the danger that's right in front of us? What are we going to change right here? 
And if that danger is feeling uncomfortable about anxiety, well, then that's all I can think about. And that's where using someone who can guide you through a visualization or a guided practice of any sort, that's what helps you break out of that pattern until you can do it on your own. Yeah. Can you give us a story? Because I know you've worked with, I know at golfers, I don't know what other athletes, but can you give us an example from maybe some of the golfers you've worked with, how that's the use of visualization has helped them? That was fun. That was a, a women's golf team, uh, high school level. And so you have all the, the background of just being a teenager, all the drama of <laughs> teenage years, trying to come to the course each day to practice. And that compartmentalization that they've been taught wasn't doing it anymore because now they're getting, it's eking out onto the course. And so we'd start practices with the breath work, feeling into the body, the tense and release, so they can use up some of that extra cortisol that's in the body, loosen things up, feel that they're very present and use all their senses. It's about the, not just what you're thinking, what are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are you tasting? What are you hearing? All of that comes into it. And then sitting in silence and noticing what's starting to bubble up. And so for many of these young women, they would get caught in that loop again. And I can almost see the body change because my eyes are open and their eyes are closed. And you can see almost like the tension that starts or the frown lines that start to happen or just little nuances. And so I would take them back to that open state again of use your senses. You are here. You are safe. And use an affirmation a lot with them too of it's okay to feel anger or irritation and still be here. How does it feel in the body? And then we would go into moving into what they're expecting on the course that day. And they would visualize that over and over again. But at any time, that compartmentalized emotional state that they were feeling from the day, if it starts to eke through again, it's okay. It's not to shut the wall off and say, don't think about that now. It's like the guest coming in the house and saying, okay, you're here too. Got it. Sense it. I know it. It's in my shoulders. It's in my arms or it's in my hips. I'm going to get back to my breathing. I'm going to get back into that grounded root and visualize once again going forward. So the more I could visualize with them the state of when it's working, even when it's not working, and how to get back to when it's working. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, no, it does. And how did that affect them as far as... Oh my gosh. Yeah. They, yes, they were so... It was so much fun to hear their responses after events. So I would do this during practice times during the week. And then their tournaments would be on weekends usually, or the end of the week when I wasn't seeing them. And I get the reports back of how well they did. How just, oh, I want to swear right now. And like, I was so excited for them. I was so, so excited for them because I, I believe it was finally that they were accepting their full self out on the course, not just the golfing self of them. It was that young woman sitting at that tee box in all of her entirety saying, I'm fully here. Yeah, I might have had a crap day yesterday or even this morning, but it's okay because I know how to sit with that and this at the same time. One does not have to overshadow the other. They're all a part of me. So powerful. So incredible, Sandy, how visualization was able to help the golfers with their performance. And I'm sure it probably helped them in life in general. But can you take us back for a moment and let's talk about, walk us through mindfulness and how we can use it in life, just simple steps for all of us? Most definitely. Let's start with just waking up and being present to your senses. That's first and foremost. Every day that you get up, can you really take the time to see what you see, smell, taste, hear, feel? 
And then recognize what thoughts are going through your mind as you are what I call landing in this moment, becoming very, very present, all of which can take seconds. And then continue practicing that throughout the day. Every once in a while, just schedule it in of maybe every time you sit down to eat. Maybe it's whenever you get up from your desk, you're just going to notice what's happening in the, the sensorial body. And if you do that long enough, then you can start adding more to your practice. Like, what if I take some time to visualize something right now? And it could be a daydream. It could be about your next weekend getaway. It could be about how you want a job situation or project to turn out. Allow your mind to show you whatever that is that you're dreaming about, both the positive and possibly the obstacles. And then notice how it feels in the body. Recognize it, name it, and then reframe it to include how you want the outcome to feel because that's where you're staying anchored to. You might be nervous about something, that's okay. On top of what? In correlation with. So that's an easy way to start adding visualization in. And then if you feel that you want to go into contemplation or a meditation type practice and it's already part of your routine or you need to find somebody to help guide you through it, spend five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever amount of time on a regular basis and for a while. I always like giving it a 30-day or more consistency before you start dropping off and, and saying life got in the way. Try it. <laughs> Just try making it consistent and noticing what's starting to come up and then journal right after if you can. If you're really starting this practice to be serious, that journaling is going to help you understand the progression. You're not trying to make it an analytical journal. It's just more of what you've captured in that moment, what you've noticed. And if you notice that for a month, your thoughts kept returning to XYZ, well, then how long are you going to stay in that neural pathway? Or when can you start putting that visualization in to change that neural pathway into ABC instead of XYZ? I keep thinking about work. Every time I sit down to meditate, I think about work. All right. What about work do you want to change? And then think of that and start putting that specifically in before you sit down to meditate. Again, with the mind-body connection, what your thoughts, what your emotions are, and what the body is telling you with that combination. Do you notice any tension? Do you notice any places of relaxation? Can you breathe freely? All those pieces are going to help you get into that, what I call emotional intelligence, the emotional awareness. And that is an embodied practice. An embodied practice is being in the body fully, both with your mental, emotional, and physical components all together. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I think at this point, what would be helpful, you've given us so much wisdom. I think what we'll do at this point is go ahead and have you try and distill down some sparks of wisdom for people out of all that lovely gloriousness you just gave us. Oh, boy. Sparks of wisdom, oh, 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 sparks of wisdom, oh, 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 oh. Okay, Sandy, you've given us so much wisdom today, so now I'm going to give you the challenge of distilling it down to a few sparks of wisdom. So can you just give people a little, little bit from all of that you just shared? All right. Well, let's start with First and foremost, know that you are an emotional body and you can honor the fact that the emotional body wants to express itself. Two, know that those emotions are just energy. And as long as they're not repressed or controlled, they will move through and transfer or transform into the next piece of emotion. 
three, I would say get to start using your senses every single day so that you can come into this present moment. And the more present you are, the more aware you're going to be of the emotions that come up. And lastly, honor the fact of where they land and show up and express themselves in your body. You do that more often, you start understanding where that tension in the shoulders is coming from and that it doesn't have to stay. It's just compounding overreactions of those emotional states that haven't been addressed. Sandy, thank you so much for your time today. I'm laughing because I think this is the shortest conversation you and I have ever had. <laughs> no one else is going to think that. I know. They, they have to understand that we can be on the phone for hours together. Yes. So this is this is the short version of a conversation for us. But thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with everyone. I think that it is very powerful. And I know that I find it very inspiring because I find you very inspiring. And I would just love for you to share with people how they can find you and sort of the services that you offer that you can help people with, because you definitely have a lot of ways that you can assist people. Sure. Uh, again, thank you for inviting me here. This I love talking with you and anytime you want to talk some more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can find me at sandydixon.net, S-A-N-D-Y-D-I-X-O-N.net. That's my website. And you'll notice that again, it's in transition because I am in transition between my next phase of work. Uh, after the startup that I had closed down, I still work with personal clients and I'm willing to offer personalized visualizations if people want to purchase those uh, by reaching out to me. So if that's something that they need help with, I can make those recordings and they can purchase those. They can also email me directly and that is sandygeedixon at gmail.com you can put that in the notes yeah reach out to me send me a note if there's any way that you have either questions or you're just looking for more information about this I can also guide you to other people that teach it really well as well yeah Sandy is a wonderful resource so I will put all that in the show notes and hopefully people will reach out because that will definitely be beneficial for them. So thank you again, Sandy, for your time. You're welcome. Thank oh, you. I love this. Always great to talk to you. Always great to talk to you too. And as always, be you, be love, and be present. <laughs>